Good evening, and today we're going to be discussing a very interesting theme of the Parsha, which um, I believe is, is relevant to uh, all of us and to all of society, all time, and I think it answers one of the all-time questions um, that humanity grapples with. Let's, I'll start off with a joke. There was once a school, a private school, a very affluent private school, and they gave... Um, they gave an assignment to the children that they should write about poverty. Write about poverty. So one of the kids, he starts off his essay and he says, there was once a family that was very poor. All of them were poor. The father was poor. The mother was poor. The children were poor. The chauffeur was poor. The chef was poor. <laughs> you get it. So um, they're all poor, right? A complete and total disconnect to the realities on the ground of what it means to be poor. Poverty is one of the big issues, right? And, and um, many societies have had to deal with the question, with the problem. Societies still today have to deal with it. Um, some tremendous ideologies were born out of the desire to get rid of poverty. Um, they all turned out to be pipe dreams, right? Communism, for example, uh, the official call of communism that there shouldn't be any more classes, there shouldn't be the rich and the poor, and we all know how that ended up on the ash heap of history. Um, we were talking earlier about the kibbutzim in Israel. So while it may have sounded good on paper that people get together and they work the land and everything is split up equally, but about two generations later, um, the grandchildren of the kibbutz definitely rejected the whole concept of the kibbutz. And uh, perhaps it's totally against the human nature, etc. But the point of the matter is that forcing forcing everyone to be in the same class seems to be impossible. Or all of the attempts to get rid of rich and poor have failed miserably. The question is why? Well, if you look at this week's Torah portion, we find that Moses is speaking to the Jewish people. Now, when the Jewish people were in the desert, there was no poor. There was no such a thing as poverty. Why? Everyone had what they needed. They were like in the kibbutz, right? Almost, almost like in the kibbutz. A lot of wealth. First of all, they left with a lot of wealth. Okay, that's true. But even then, you might have people that uh, had more, had less. But irrelevant to that, the fact of the matter is that typically, wealth and poverty are drawn in the lines of, of, of survival. In other words, if you have what to eat, and you have shelter, you have clothing, you're not poor. You know, you're not in poverty. Poverty means that you can barely cover the essentials, right? If you go around begging, and, and asking for others just for your bare essentials of food and clothing and, and shelter. In the, in the desert, the Jewish people did not have this problem. They had food from heaven, and they had, they had shelter from the, from the heavenly clouds. Their clothing grew with them. Their clothing never, never tore. It was all, it was all good. They, they, all, they all had their bare necessities, all their essentials, plus. So there, was no, there were no classes in the desert, at least with regard to... Uh, wealth and poverty. There was no such thing. However, Meshach Rabbeinu was preparing the people to go into the land of Israel to confront the real world. And Meshach tells them that you're going to learn something new. You're going to experience something that you haven't experienced in the 40 years that you've been a nation. That is, that there are going to be poor people. There's going to be poverty in the Jewish people. Source number one. If there will be a needy person among you, one of your brothers and one of your cities, your land, which your God has given you, you must not pardon your heart. 
you must not close your hand to your needy brother. Rather, you must open your hand to him, lend him enough for his needs, which he is lacking. Yeah, got to give him what he needs. Lend it to him, give it to him. Here we're talking about a loan. Here we're referring to a loan. And in fact, uh, the Torah tells us, Allah tells us, that if you have the opportunity to give a loan or to give charity, better to give a loan than to give charity. Uh, because a loan, um, I say, it comes across better to the recipient. Right? Charity, that means the recipient needs to you know, get from someone else. And their dignity is uh, not, really, not really preserved. When you give a loan, so the person feels like a mensch. He's going to pay it back one day, etc. So, you have a person, you have a, you, have a, you have a fellow Jew who's down and out. You should lend to him. You shouldn't harden your heart. Beware, lest there be an unfaithful thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of debt release, is approaching. Shemitah, the sabbatical year, several things happened during that year. One is that they were not allowed to work the fields. The other thing is that all outstanding debts were cleared. So a person might think, hey, it's almost Shemitah year. It's almost the seventh year. I don't want to lend money, which is basically not going to be paid back before the year begins, and it's going to be cleared. And you begrudge your needy brother and not give him. He will cry out to God against you, and it will be a sin for you. You must give him, and your heart must not be aggrieved when you give to him. For because of this, God will bless you in all your work and in all your endeavors. God says, I'm expecting you to give. I'm expecting you if you are in a position to give, you must give. You must give happily, joyfully. And if you will do so, that's how you're going to be blessed in all of your work and all your endeavors. For there will never cease to be needy people in the land. God says this as a fact. Until the end of days, there is going to be poverty. Therefore, I command you that you must open your hand to your brother, to the poor and destitute in your land. Right away, when you read this, the, the, this, uh, this paragraph, these statements in the Torah, there's a few questions that come up right away. So God says there are going to be poor, and therefore you must give. Do not harden your heart. Why couldn't God just give to everyone equally? What was the purpose of creating classes? Why did God have to create a situation where there will be poor people and there will be people in a, in a position to give? And God is telling them, by the way, when you're in a position to give, you're going to have many challenges to giving. You might have many reasons you don't want to give. For example, the sabbatical year is coming up, that that might be cleared, your heart might harden, you might be you might grudge, you might you might bear a grudge against it. So God says, no, you must give, and you're going to be blessed for giving. And and in today's talk, today's sikha that we're learning, we're going to actually take a deep dive into this into this issue. Why does God have to create classes? Why you know? Why is it, in other words, God is going to take care of everyone, right? God doesn't say that the poor are, are, are uh, destined to die and, and, and you know, to, to starve to death. That's not what God says here. God says it's going to be poor, and I'm expecting you to take care of them. Why can't God give to them directly? So, but it's going to be done in, in the Rebbe's typical, thorough and beautiful and clear fashion. All right, page three on the bottom. A Jew once came to the Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel, shortly after his wedding. So it was shortly after this Jew's wedding, he came to the Rebbe, concerned about how he would make a living. 
Rebbe Maharash took him to the window and showed him the moon. Rebbe Maharash said, you see how the moon receives from the sun? And similarly, the divine attribute of Malchus, sovereignty, receives from Zoh, which represents the seven divine emotive attributes, and so on from level to level. Rebbe Marash concluded, until your old age, you will not lack for your livelihood. According to another version, you will be rich. Of course, this blessing was fulfilled. This person was rich until his old age. Even though he served as a rabbi, and in his old age, he lost his money. Right? That was the end of the story. Right? So he had enough to eat, he had enough to support his family, etc. In his old age, he became like the moon. The moon that has to receive from the sun, he needed to be on the receiving end. Um, now, how exactly did the story play out? The Rebbe Maharaj didn't just tell this person, don't worry, you'll have enough until you're an old man. He took him outside, or he took him to the window, and he showed him the moon. They said, you see, the moon doesn't have its own light. The moon has to receive from the sun. So that's the moon and the sun. But the same is true in all levels. There's the giver and there's the receiver. What the Rebbe Maharaj was illustrating to him was, the fact that there are those who are in a position to give, the fact that there are those that are in a, that are poor, and therefore they need to receive, that's not that's not the, a result of social engineering. That's not a fluke of society. This is the way it is. This is the way it's set up. Right. The relevant point for us in the story is that when we see a giver and a recipient down here in our world, it is because the same concept exists above in the heavens, where the moon receives light from the sun. And the reason this relationship exists between the moon and the sun is because the same concept exists with Malchus and Zah, as explained in Kabbalah. When we talk about the spiritual realms, so there's different names for them, and, but, but the essential idea is that in all of the spiritual realms, there's the giver and there's the receiver. There's that union between the giver and receiver. Um, okay. So the first thing we, we understand is that the fact that there is poverty is divinely ordained. Not just the fact that this person will be poor and that person won't be poor. The fact that there is poverty is for a specific purpose. It's part of the construct, not just of our world, of, of humanity, of society. That's the construct of all of reality. Not just our physical world, all the spiritual worlds. They're constructed in a way that there is giver and receiver, all the way down to the rich man giving to the poor. Now, um, let's go to page four. The Medrash says, King David said to God, Master of the universe, may the world sit before God. What does it mean that it should sit before God? Make your world the rich and the poor equal. Let it sit, let it, let it be equalized, let it be balanced. Right? In other words, King David was bothered by this. Why are they rich and poor? Just make the perfect balance. Everyone should have exactly what they need. In fact, it's not strange to this world. We did it. In the 40 years that we were in the desert, everything was balanced, everything was equal, right? So King David has a problem. Why is this world not balanced? God responded. If I do so, who will observe kindness and truth? 
if everyone will be rich or poor, who will be able to do acts of kindness? When does kindness happen? Kindness happens when someone needs kindness. You know, when, when, there's, when there are these huge disasters, these natural disasters, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Andrew, her, you know, all the different hurricanes, Hurricane Harvey, right? We had over here in Houston, whatever, in the eastern, the eastern part of Texas. Um, and, and always they talk about afterwards on the news, wow, and, and, and the kindness that was expressed by so many people helping out their neighbors, helping out strangers, people that were risking their lives to go and help people that were trapped on the top of their houses, or people that were giving out food and from the entire country, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of money coming in. What happened just now in Ukraine, right? There's this war. There are millions of refugees, and the entire world is coming to help. I mean, for a while they were doing that. I don't know if it's still happening in the same with the same intensity, but the, the fact of the matter is that when does kindness shine brightest? When people need it, right? What does it mean you do an act of kindness? Someone did not have money for breakfast, and you brought them breakfast. You gave them money for breakfast, right? In other words, what is God saying? King David complains and says, why is there an imbalance in society? Why do we have classes? Why do we have rich and poor? Essentially, he's asking, why do bad things happen to people? Why can't everything just be perfectly balanced and normal? And what does God answer? Because I want people to be kind. I want people to be kind. I want people to be the true, to, to, to express the true kindness. And that's why I engineered this world in a way that there are givers and receivers. Meaning, let's continue the Rebbe's words. King David asked God why there needs to be rich and poor people. God, who provides sustenance for the entire world with grace, kindness, and mercy, right? That's a quote from Rakata Mazon, provides sustenance for both the rich and the poor. But for the rich, he provides directly without needing to accept gifts from people. While for the poor, he provides through the rich. When the poor person buys a loaf of bread, and he makes the blessing Hamaitzi, and then after he finishes the loaf of bread, he, he, he says, Berkat Who does he thank for his food? He thanks God. He says the same Berkat he says the same grace after meals as the rich person. So we're not under any false assumption that when a rich man gives charity to the poor, that the poor is receiving their sustenance from the rich. No, they're receiving their sustenance from God. Everyone will tell you that. However, there was a difference in how that sustenance reached that person. To the rich, the rich person re received the sustenance for a dignified manner, directly from God. He didn't have to ask anyone for breakfast. The poor person had to ask the rich person to give him the breakfast. Ultimately, the poor person is also receiving from God, but it comes through the medium of the rich person receives from God and then fulfills the mitzvah of charity and gives to the poor. And even the rich person appreciates that and understands that when he is given, when he or she is giving tzedakah to the poor, they are doing so as God's agent. It's not that they're giving to the poor money that's theirs and they decided to give it. No, they know all along from the beginning. The fact that they have a surplus is in order, is because there's someone out there whose sustenance is going to come from the surplus that was given to me. To the point that there is a well-known saying of Hasidim, I'm continuing the Rebbe's words, there's a well-known saying of Hasidim along these lines, my piece of bread is yours as much as it is mine, and even more so. What does that mean? 
This is a recognition that the portion the rich person gives to the poor belongs in fact to the poor person to begin with. Apparently this expression came from chassidim that were well-to-do and they were giving to the poorer Jews and then when they would give them and say, I'm not giving you mine, I'm giving you yours. It's actually a cute, a cute uh, expression that chassidim would use. Sometimes the poor chassid would go over to the rich one and say, is my hundred dollars by you today? <laughs> is my ruble by you today? Basically, we're saying, yeah, I need tzedakah, etc. And you're going to give me the tzedakah because you're going to do the mitzvah tzedakah. It's my ruble. I mean, it's the ruble that I needed to have from God. For whatever reason, God decided to channel it to me through the rich person. Yeah. However, so, so now you'll think one second. So now the rich person is not part of the game, not part of the equation. Of course he is. However, from the fact that the rich person fulfills the mitzvah of charity when he gives to the poor, it's evident that even though Torah views it as intended for the poor, God wanted for it to belong to the rich person first. This means it belongs to the rich person in the full sense of ownership, and thereafter he can give it to the poor person and fulfill the mitzvah of charity. So even though, in truth, that surplus of money that was by the rich belongs to the poor, it doesn't belong to the poor, the poor person can't steal it from the rich person, the, the money belongs to the rich person in every sense of the word. And here the rich person is doing the mitzvah of charity by passing it on to the poor person. That's exactly what King David was bothered by. King David argued to God against this arrangement. Why should the poor person be made to feel bad? Now, yes, I understand that you want to nurture a society where there's kindness, where you realize what, the, what, it's, what type of cost it's at. It's at the cost of the, of the dignity of the poor person. And why should the rich person be allowed to de possibly develop feelings of haughtiness, that he is greater than the poor person, and he was able to rectify something that was lacking in God's world? Right? It, it, it's, a, it's a tough question. Right? In other words, yeah, you're going to tell me there has to be kindness, but, but at what cost? You're creating classes here. People that are going to feel depressed, have a low self-esteem, and people that might all of a sudden become haughty, proud of themselves when they don't deserve it, right? Now the Rebbe is referencing to, re referencing to a story in the Talmud, a conversation that happened between Rabbi Akiva and an evil Roman tyrant, Turnus Rufus. Um, let's go through the story and then circle back to, to the middle of page six. So on the bottom of page six, source three, the wicked Turnus Rufus asked this very question of Rabbi Akiva. If your God loves the poor, why does he not provide for them? Rabbi Akiva replied, God makes people needy so that through giving them charity, we may be saved from the judgment of Gehenna. In other words, Rabbi Akiva's answer is that the reason why there are poor is in order to give the rich opportunities to be kind. Said Turnus Rufus to Rabbi Akiva, on the contrary, is giving of charity is what condemns you to Gehenna. You're going to go to hell for giving charity. How so? Understand the Roman mind. I shall illustrate this with a parable. What is the matter of giving charity similar to? It can be compared to a case of a human king who was angry at a servant, confined him to prison, and ordered that no one give him food or drink. One man went and gave the servant food and drink in defiance of the king's order. 
When the king hears of this man's actions, is he not angry? The king is going to be angry. He had condemned the servant to death, a slow and painful death. And here comes a guy who ruins all of his plans. And you Jews are called servants of God, as the verse states, the children of Israel are servants of God. So Turnus Rufus, what's his illustration? The Jews are servants. If there's a Jew that's poor, that means God's upset with this person and condemned he or she to a life of misery, a slow, painful death. So how could you go and give them food, give them money? It's called being a jerk on God's dime, right? You found a way how to utilize God and your faith in God, so to speak, your professed faith in God to be a total jerk. Okay. Rabbi Akiva replied, I shall illustrate this to you with a different parable. What is the matter of giving charity similar to? It can be compared to a case of a human king who was angry at his son, confined him to prison and ordered that no one give him food or drink. One man went and gave the son food and drink in defiance of the king's order. When the king hears of the man's actions, does he not send the man the gift? Save the son. And Rabbi Kiva continued and said, and the Jewish people are called children of God Almighty. Right? So, okay, so that, that was the conversation between Rabbi Akiva and Tanus Rufus. Now, Rabbi Akiva in his parable, what, what does he say? He says, the king got, got angry at the son, threw him into prison, and then someone comes and gives food, yeah? So let's go back to page six, the, the, like the, the bottom of the middle paragraph, right? In the Talmud's account of an exchange between Rabbi Akiva and Tunus Rufus, the rectification affected by the rich person is described with an analogy to a human king who got angry with his son and imprisoned him. King David asked, what is the need for all of this? What's the need for the drama? Why do we have to go and, and condemn? A, huh? Make things complicated. Well, yeah, why do have to make things complicated? Exactly. In other words, there's real people here. The poor person is a real person with feelings, with a life. And, and now the fact that, that, he, that he or she is poor, that's not okay. You're right. You want to engineer kindness? Come on. Really? So, so here's the, God, what was God's response? God answered King David, so who will observe kindness and truth? If everyone will be rich or everyone will be poor, who will be able to do acts of kindness? How will the mitzvah of charity be observed? What, what's, the, what's the answer here? So page eight, why is it necessary for there to be a mitzvah of charity? Because God desired that as a result of the mitzvah of charity in this world, there should be charity in the worlds above. The sun should give to the moon. The seven emotive attributes should give to the attribute of sovereignty. Severity, probably. Uh, yeah, sovereignty, I'm sorry, the mouthless, and so on. I was like this. God's telling David Amalach the following. He says, I set up my world. Don't ask me why I set it up this way. But this is how he set it up. That there is giver and receiver. Not just rich men, poor men. No, no, no. The moon, the sun, there. the sun is the giver, the moon is the receiver. In the spiritual realms, all of these different um, you know, spherot, these, these spiritual stuff, they all work in that system of giver and receiver. In order for divine vitality to come to this world it has to go through an entire chain of giving receiving giving receiving from one world to the next from one level to the next okay 
So you have to have giver, receiver, giver, receiver. And God says, and I decided, and I wanted all of this to be activated through the giver and receiver in this physical world. When the one who's in the position to give, gives to the poor, when the rich give to the poor, that is the action that sets into motion all of the other giving and receiving, giving and receiving that happens on all the levels. That's God's answer. Now, granted, this is not necessarily something that can be understood logically. The logical mind rejects this concept that a person, that, that there should be different classes. The logical mind really wants that everything should be equal. But God decided differently. God decided that his world works, that there's a giver and receiver, and that ultimately the way all of it is activated is when the giver and receiver in this physical world in the lowest level possible, there's someone that needs breakfast, and someone gives breakfast, that is going to activate this entire chain of, of energy that comes to this world. That was God's answer to King David. You can't argue with that. If God set up the world that way, and that's what God desired, that's what God desired. And we don't see any follow-up from King David arguing against that, right? You know why? Because King David was asking a philosophical question. King David was observing the reality. There's rich, there's poor. And he said, why does there even need to be rich and poor? So God answers, right? What's God's answer? This is the system. You can't fight the system. But now we're going to see how really you could fight the system. What, what does it mean to fight the system? When you talk about things philosophically, the rich and the poor become numbers, right? They're just, they're just yeah, they're just rich. The rich don't have a face. There's poor. The poor don't have a face. They don't have a story. It's just rich and poor. It's philosophical. But let's say I'm the poor person. You know what the poor person could argue? You're right. Huh? Where's my money? Where's my money, huh? But that's not the poor person's argument. He knows where his money is by the rich, and he'll get it from the rich. You know what the poor person argues and says? He says, God, I understand. I understand there has to be rich and poor. But why do I have to be the poor person? Why do I have to be the one on the receiving end? Can you fight with that? Yeah. How can you fight with that? Because when you're rich, you're much more challenged than you're poor. You're going on into a different, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a separate issue. The question of what's better, to be rich or poor, because of the challenges that each one of these social statuses presents. That's a separate question. This kind of explains that maybe he's in a better place. Uh, maybe he's in a better cool. place. Go and explain that to the guy that can't feed his kids and that can't take care of their medical bills. There. You don't want to be there. Uh, okay, very good. Neither do I, right? No one wants to be in that position. But unfortunately, there are people in that position. Oh, so, um, page nine. So here the Rebbe is going to introduce to us a very fascinating story. In general, you know, people like stories that are like dramatic, you know, miracles, this and that. In, in the Hasidic treasure trove of stories, usually the best stories are not necessarily in the drama, in the miracles. They're in, they're in these, these subtle stories that just they, they illustrate such a profound truth. Okay, so the Rebbe continues. After all of this, we are still left with the question posed in the well-known Hasidic discourse. 
regarding the verse, a prayer for a poor man when he enwraps himself and pours out his speech before God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a new in, in the Tehillim, chapter 102. It starts off, Tefillah La'oni, the prayer of the poor person. Oh, so, so in order to, so source four goes into the story. I just want to give a little bit of background to the story. So Rebbe Marash, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, he lived in the city of Lubavitch. Uh, it was one year, I believe it was 1865, 1865. Um, he was traveling and it was right before the high holidays. And word got back to him that there was a fire in Lubavitch at home and in the whole area burned to the ground. So he had to divert to a different place. He went to Kishinev, which is in Moldova, right? Um, he went to Kishinev and he stayed there for the high holidays. So here, source number four. On Tuesday, the 6th of Tishrei, so, so this story was told to the previous Rebbe by a chassid that was present when this happened. Chassid's name was Rabbi Zalman Zlatopolsky. So the Rebbe Maharash spent Shoshana in Kishinev. So several days later, on the 6th of Tishrei, many of the wealthy and prominent people of Kishinev came to the Rebbe Maharash with a request. Kishinev is a large city, they said, and there are many elderly and weak people who will not be able to come, who were not able to come, um, who were not able to come for Rosh Hashanah to hear the Rebbe's discourse. They asked if the Rebbe would please be able to speak before them on that day at the time that suits him. The Rebbe granted the request and set the time for 4 o'clock p.m. The accommodations where the Rebbe was staying contained a large spacious room, but at 1 o'clock, three hours before the appointed time, it was already full. Since the, wealthy, since the weather was good, the Rebbe agreed for the podium to be taken outside to the courtyard. At the specified time, the Rebbe walked out of his room, ascended the podium, and sat down on the chair prepared for it. The courtyard was filled with people and a silence of awe and respect enveloped all those present in the courtyard on the surrounding rooftops and all the tall trees. The Rebbe began his discourse from chapter 102 in Tehillim, a prayer of a poor man when he enwraps himself and pours out his speech before God. His pleasant holy voice could be heard from afar and all those present could see his holy face and hear every word emerging from his heart, stirring them to divine service. The content of the discourse was an explanation about giving and receiving, as it is expressed in all the lofty spiritual levels. The practical conclusion was that the same must occur among people. There must be a giver and a recipient, the rich person giving, and the poor, poor, poor person receiving. But the Rebbe, the Rebbe raised his holy voice and said in a questioning tone, it is true that there must be givers and receivers in all of the worlds, and it is therefore necessary in this physical world as well among the Jewish people. But the poor person argues, why does he need to be the recipient? The poor person's argument is a good one, the Rebbe said. The Rebbe screamed, he's right. There's no answer to that. Philosophically speaking, why does it need to be rich and poor? Fine. But the person who's suffering from poverty, when he comes to God and says, why me? There's no answer to that. There's no response. 
And this, this is what the Rebbe was saying. After imagine the the you know the, the situation, everyone's listening as the Rebbe is teaching this idea, and the Rebbe is kind of shouting these words. That is gerecht. He's right. The poor person is right. God does not have an answer for this. So Rabbi Zatopolsky continues the story. He says, when the crowd present heard these holy words from the Rebbe's mouth, they all burst into tears. I wish, said Rabbi Zalman Zlatopolsky, that on my last day on earth, I shall merit to cry with the same sincerity. So what, what do we take away from the story? That although it's true, we can explain in accordance with God's desire for creation, that there needs to be giver and receiver, rich and poor, that's all in philosophy. But when it comes to the practical realities of the poor person, the poor person cries out to God and says, why me? Um, so now the previous Rebbe continues the narrative. Of, so my father, the Rebbe Hashab, told me, your grandfather, the Rebbe Barash is saying, but the poor person argues, why does it have to be me? And his endorsement of this argument should constantly be before your eyes. It needs to give you inspiration and strength to perform acts of kindness to everyone possible. Knowing the fact that the poor person is truly suffering and that God cannot respond to that suffering, that should motivate the one who's in a position to give. To give. As long as it's all about philosophy, whatever, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> giving, receiving, wow, what an amazing thing. Beautiful. When I'm giving stuck, it's like the sun giving to the moon, and it's like Malchus, like Zog giving Malchus. It's exciting. It's very exciting, right? But I'm not in a rush. What did the Rebbe Maharaj do with his with, with, with describing the situation? What he said was, you're right, it's, it's all very nice philosophically speaking. At the end of the day, there's a poor person that's suffering, and he's crying out to God, and he's right. Go and give him the food right away. Go and give him the money right away. Make sure that he's not down enough. That's what has to motivate us. So we have to run and make sure that the poor should be taken care of. Why? Because that, that's what that, we're God's agents to make, that, to make that a reality. That's why God gave us. Otherwise, why would he give us more? He should have given balanced, equal. You know what equal means? The rich lose their riches, right? And then, it, so if someone was blessed with more, that means that God has a job. God has a purpose. God has a mission in making this person rich. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the mission? To give. One is put in the position of giving in order to give. One's not put in the position to give just to have the money. Why would God do that? The only reason why the poor does not have that money and that money is by the rich is in order that the giving and receiving should happen. In order for that reality to take place. In order for that magical moment that magical thing, you know, it's not even magical, in order for that divine act to happen, that would activate this entire chain of events in all of the spiritual realms. Okay, so now, so that's, that's one part of the thing. In other words, realizing that the poor person actually has a point. And that should motivate us to make sure that the giving happens right away. But now let, let's deal with the poor person. <laughs> the poor person is, is suffering, right? So what do we, how do we deal with the poor? What's, what's the advice to the poor person? So page 12. Regarding such matters, we are instructed not to question God's conduct. That's number one. You know, 
in other words, like this, the poor person could ask the question and he could be right. Okay, so you're right. So now what? Now you dive in Milcha, right? You know the story about the Holocaust. Eh, whatever, it's a famous story. So anyway, um, so stop asking questions. But, but, what, what should we do? So here's advice number one. It is possible for a person to not feel that he lacks for anything. It's possible for a person to be poor and to be in a position where actually they're not in pain. How great is the lot of a person who is content with his lot and lacks for nothing? There's a well-known story in this regard about the Magad of Mizrich. A person once complained to the Magad about his poverty. All right, so in order to calm him down, the Magad sent him to Rabbi Zusha of Anapoli to learn from his conduct. When the person saw the abject poverty Rabbi Zusha lived in, he thought the Magad had sent him there to show him that there is someone even poorer than him. Right? He started to compare and say, oh, life is bad. It's not as bad as that. Which, by the way, is, is not really a good way of, of uh, calming someone down because, oh, so, you, so now I'm in pain for him too, you know? Anyway, he thought that the knowledge that there's another Jew who was even worse off was supposed to make him feel a little bit better. But since the Magad had already sent him to Rabbi he wanted to hear something from him. So he told him the entire story. He told him he came to the Magad, he complained. Rabbi Zusha replied that he doesn't understand at all why the Magad would have sent the poor man to him in order to learn in order to learn not to complain about poverty. Why does he not understand? He lacks for nothing. Reb Zusha did not have anything. Okay? He didn't even have a bed. There was a little bit of straw on the floor that the family slept on. Reb Zusha was the poorest man you can imagine. Here comes the poor man to Reb Zusha and he says, the Magda told me to come to you to hear how should I deal with my with my poverty? You know, position tells him, "Me, I'm not poor. I can't help you, my friend. I, I don't experience your problem. I'm not poor." The poor man then understood the magad's real intention. The magad wanted to show him it's possible to be poor and not to feel it. Nope. But that's a high level. Not so simple, right? It works for it works for the position. The above is true only if a person doesn't feel that he lacks for it. If, however, a person feels a lack, he has a biblical mitzvah to request his needs from God. As Maimonides writes at the beginning of the laws of prayer, it is a positive commandment that one should ask for all of his needs with requests and supplications. Right? So what's so what's the other saying? If you if you're poor. Davantasha, pray. But here's the problem. There is a point here that requires clarification. The Zayar states that a person that prays to God for his sustenance is like a dog barking for food. So is, is prayer a good thing or a bad thing? He's not saying a dog barking for food in a positive sense. The Zayar is not telling us to emulate the dogs, right? He's basically putting it down. What are you, a dog barking for food? That's where you are. Yeah. This seems contrary to the above quote from Maimonides, that not only is it necessary to pray to God for food, there's even a positive biblical mitzvah. How then can the Zara describe such a person as subhuman? Yeah, like what, what's going on here? According to Allah, are you meant to pray for the food? Pray for sustenance. And here you're calling this person a dog. So, 
The solution to this quandary is that if a person asks for their needs for the sake of heaven, they cannot be compared to a dog. Why does someone need that? Why do you need money? If you need to have money in order to go to Vegas and blow it all on, uh, on, on, on you know, fun in Vegas, then you're like a dog boy. That's not what you need money for. If you say, oh, I need money in order to be able to send my kids to Jewish education. I need to have money in order to marry them off properly. I need to have money in order to have Shabbos and Yom Tov to have a beautiful meal and to be able to invite guests. I need to have money in order to be able to give stock and all of these different things. So why do you need money? For God's sake, right? Oh, so then you're not asking for yourself. You're asking for God. On the way, you also have what to eat, breakfast, lunch, and supper. That's fine. But what's the real reason why you need to have money? In order to serve God, in order to do mitzvahs. For example, asking for money to be able to marry one's daughter to a Torah scholar, to observe mitzvahs beautifully, to give charity to poor people and worthy institutions and the like. When one does this, the toil of his hands is praiseworthy and good for you. The sages explain this verse, it is praiseworthy in this world and good for you in the world to come. Through such conduct, the person shapes his portion in the world to come. In other words, you want God to give you money. You're poor. You want to change your lot. Pray for it. Ask God for the money. But don't ask God for the money just because you're a fresser, just because you need to have a big meal because you enjoy good food. Or just because you want to go on vacations and you want to have comfort. It's like a dog barking for food. Ask for the money in order to be able to serve God. And when that's the, that, that's the case, okay? So now you have a justification for wanting to have the money. And surely God is going to answer your prayers. There's a well-known Hasidic story along these lines that the Balshamta found a redeeming factor in the conduct of Jewish tavern owners who weren't particular about the Jewish laws against unfair competition. So apparently, during the Balshamta's era, so the tavern owners, uh, they, they were cutthroat business, you know. Trying, everyone was trying to make a buck. So apparently, I don't know where this condemnation was coming from. If it was happening down here in this world. People were talking about the tavern owners or if in heaven this was going on. The Balshemtov seamlessly operated in both realms. They operated in heaven and on earth. It was all over the place. So somewhere, somewhere there was some type of, you know, condemnation against these tavern owners that, uh, you know, they're just trying to make a few dollars at the expense of other people, etc. So the Baal had to advocate on their behalf. So Baal said, the reason they are desperate for the money is not for their own needs, but in order to be able to find and support a son-in-law who is a Torah scholar. Why do you need money to find a Torah scholar? This was necessary because for a simple Jewish girl who lived with her family at the tavern, the only way to find the Torah scholar to marry her was to promise the scholar full financial support so that he can sit in the tavern and study Torah undisturbed. So the tavern owner realized, if I want to get, if I want my daughter to marry a person who's going to learn Torah, who's going to educate his children properly, etc., I need to have a lot of cash. I need to be able to support the guy. And that's why they're rushing in order to make money. In other words, Balshemta found a way to justify the need for money. To justify why a poor person would come to God and say, God, I need money. I can't be poor anymore. I need it. And the Rebbe is saying that this is one of the answers to this question. The poor person comes and says, God, why me? You're right. Pray. 
pray to God that things should change. And it's possible for things uh, to change. There's a story, I'll end up with the story of the Baal Shem Tov. But there was once, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, there was a group of poor people that came to the Baal Shem Tov to ask for money. The whole group, they tried, they came in. So the, the Shamish, like the, 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 the secretary, whatever, the aide, the Baal Shem Tov gave each one of them a certain amount. Comes down, one of the poor people there, he gave him the, the rubles. He said, no, I don't want the Baal Shem Tov's money. He said, what do you want? He said, I want to speak to him. So, okay, he goes to the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov gave him double the money. He says, give it to me. So he comes to me, gave him this large bag of cash. He says, here, take it. He said, I don't want the Baal Shem Tov's money. I want to speak to him. Okay, he goes back to Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov said, okay, bring him in. So he comes in, Baal Shem Tov said, you don't want my donation? Well, what's, what's the problem? He says, no, I want to ask you a question. Says, till very recently, I was a very rich man. I had a lot of money. I gave a lot of charity. I supported all of the institutions in town. Every Shabbos, there was a whole group of poor people that would come to my house and I would I would host them, etc. For some reason, a few months ago, my luck changed and I lost everything. Why did it happen? Why did my luck change all of a sudden? So thought for a moment. He said. It was all because it's all a pinch of snuff, you know, like a you know, snuff box. It's like a pinch of snuff. Says Rebbe, a pinch of snuff. I lost my entire business. I lost everything. I'm, I'm in debt. What do you mean a pinch of snuff? Hashem doesn't know you understand. The reason why your luck changed was because of a pinch of snuff. Says, what do you mean? Says, do you remember several months ago? It was Friday night, and. You know, on the Friday night, today we don't really do this, but actually I, I saw a rabbi used to do snuff all the time. The, the, the tobacco, you'd snuff tobacco. So in those days, part of, you know, part of the ambiance of, of a meal, of, of a, you know, you'd eat, and there was also snuff. People would, you know, snuff the tobacco. So everyone had, you know, a regular box of snuff all around the table, but he had this bejeweled box of snuff. Like, you know, very, I guess it was very expensive tobacco, whatever it was. So he opened up, so this rich man was sitting by his table and he opened up the box of snuff and he took out a thing and then there was another poor person that was next to him and he wanted to take from his box, but he snapped the box shut. He snapped it shut, shut. he didn't let the poor person take from his, there's other stuff, you have to take from my box. So Hashem mentions it to him and the man grabs his head and says, oh, you're yeah, you're right, from that Shabbos all, I lost everything. But that's not fair. Hashemta said, the poor person that was sitting next to you wanted to take from your snuff. He had been rich earlier, but he had lost everything. And he had come to you, wanted to ask you for, for a loan. But when you snapped the box shut, he became so embarrassed and ashamed of himself. He didn't want to ask you for the loan. So he walked away. And then after Shabbos, he didn't come back for the loan. And it was determined in heaven that all of your wealth should be transferred to him. So the poor person is crying. Says Rebbe, it was such a thoughtless act. I mean, like, you know, how, how could we change things here? You know, it's not fair. So Hashem thought for a few minutes and he said, "If you can cause the same thing to happen, that you should ask him for snuff, and he will snap, and he will reject you from having the snuff, then the wealth will get transferred back to you." Okay. So he has his job uh, figured out. So he goes and he finds out with his. This newly minted rich man lives, goes to the city, and he's trying to figure out when is going to be the best time he should ask for the snuff, and chances are that he won't give it. So he heard that in a week, this rich man is marrying off his daughter. So he figured, ah, perfect. 
the middle of the wedding, while he's dancing with the rabbi and with the president of the community and the other rich people in town, I'm going to go up to him and pull his coat. I'm going to ask him for some snuff. For sure he's not going to give me snuff then. So the wedding comes and this guy's watching, watching. Finally, it was like, you know, the dance. He runs up to me, pulls his coat, turns around and he says, can I have some snuff from your snuff box? And the rich man pulled away from the dancers and he pulled out his snuff box. And he opened it up with a smile. The man fainted. Why did he faint? Because it's the only chance he was able to get back his wealth and it's gone. He fainted. Oh, right away. Came and he brought him back. So the rich man, the host, the one who was marrying off his daughter, asked, What happened? Why, why did you faint? So he told him the whole story. He told him the whole story about, you know, Friday night and this. He said, Yeah, yeah, I remember the story. Taka, after that Friday night, everything I touched was gold. I mean, whatever, I, you know, I was very successful. So the man was crying and he said, And now I have no chance of ever getting my wealth back. So the rich man tells, so the, the, the host, he tells him, listen here, it's clear to me that my wealth is really your wealth, right? As, as is very clear from the story. So that means that I am wealthy because of you. I'm not going to let you be a pauper, be a poor person. Be my partner. He took him into the business. He became his partner and he became rich again. That was the So what, what, what do we see from here? First of all, Terrible story, huh? It was yeah, very depressing. You want to be rich and uh, it would be an expense of something, yeah. Okay. First of all, it teaches us that wealth, wealth is controlled by God. God determines who should have the wealth, whatever it is, right? There's not one person that say it's mine, it's not mine, you know. And also success and the blessing is a result of our behavior and our, you know, our behavior does have consequences, right? But here's, here's the main thing. Things can change. It's possible for the luck to change. The fact that someone is poor doesn't mean he's condemned to poverty. Poverty is, is going to remain till Mashiach will come. But the poor person is not condemned to poverty. That's why when it comes to giving, we always have to put a face to the receiver and realize we're giving to real people never to get caught up in the philosophy the philosophy is good in order that we should appreciate and understand that the fact that we're in a position to give is because god wants us to actually give but when we're giving we shouldn't be slowed down and become passive because oh this is the way the world works there's givers the receivers no 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 the fact that there's a poor person that should make me crazy I should be enraged by that. King David was enraged by it. Right? And as the Rebbe Marash said, even after all of the answers, the poor person could actually come to God and say, why me? And there's no answer to that. Therefore, give. Because there are real people that are really hurting. And the person that's really hurting, two options. One is you can be like a position and get to a level where the poverty doesn't bother you. Or, Pray for it. Go to God and pray. Pray that things should Rabbi, change. Yeah. All right, Rabbi. I, I had a question. So uh, we talk about giving 10% to charity or helping the poor or whatever we do. But so even if we, because we say there will always be poverty. 
So even we're talking about, even if we all gave the 10 to 20% that we're supposed to, there would still be poverty. Is that correct? Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. We don't give, huh? His question is, even if all of us would do our part in giving stucker properly, give 10% or 20% of earnings and everything we give, would that get rid of poverty? So the answer to that is, I don't know if the goal is to get rid of poverty. The goal is that everyone should be taken care of. There are some people that are always again for some reason, right? The fact that a person managed yeah. to get through the day by eating breakfast, lunch, and supper as a result of receiving receiving charity, are they still poor? No. You know, I had this discussion with your, your dad. We were talking about what does poor mean? Mm-hmm. So I said, you could live in a, a beautiful area where someone was used to living where, let's say, all the kids go to the Hebrew day school or they go to a certain yeshiva and then they go to camp. And if, you know, some kids can't afford to go to camp. So if you pay to help to go to camp, I said, well, why should you pay for them to go to camp? They still have food on the table. But your dad said it's, it's, the, it's relative. Like, what does poor mean? Do you want to exist or do you want to live? The kid that didn't go to camp, the other kids come back after a month and they say, they had this great experience. It was enriching for them. And the other kid, he didn't get to do that. So right. he, he, he was left out. It's like he only exists. So in a certain way, he's, he's poor. And it's not maybe a money question. It's an it's a experience, uh, the value of life question. Uh, you know right, which is a money question. Poor, poor, doesn't mean, poor doesn't mean that the person doesn't have food to eat. Poor means that they're not able to pay for necessities and even for extras. That every single child should have the opportunity to go to, to go to summer camp. Every child should have the opportunity to go to the best school possible. Right? Now, it doesn't mean, in other words, then there's extravagance, right? Now, again, who are we to who are we to judge what is extravagant and what is not? In fact, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I know of a certain scenario, a scenario where um, there were two brothers. One of them, you know, he had a business and he they always had household help. Every day, seven days a week, that household help. The other brother was not in business. He was, you know, he was a teacher or whatever it was. Anyway, at one point, um, the businessman was was down and out. Uh, he did not have money, and his brother was helping him. And you know what? And and his brother, his brother's family did not have household help seven days a week. They only had it three times a week. But the brother that had household help three times a week was helping out his brother to have household help seven times a week. Why? In order for this family to function, they need to have household help seven times a week. That's it. That's the way it is. The other family needs it three times, or they may do it three times. That's it. They're good. So it's like this lopsided thing that the one who's on the giving has less household help than the one receiving. And what's he giving in order to provide for the household? You see what's going on here? But But that's real. Poverty, is. there's no objective definition to poverty. Poverty, the concept of needing, is relative. Just like to be in a position to give, right? There are some people that don't have a lot of money and they're still giving. And they give loans and big loans. They don't have, they don't have a huge savings. They don't have any savings account. They don't have money put away for later. But they give, whatever. The other people that to them, in order for them to give that, they have who knows how much money in the bank, right? Okay, that could probably change. But but the, the idea is that when it comes to get to your original question, 
We don't give charity to get rid of poverty. We give charity in order to take care of, our, of, of those that need. It's very possible that someone may not be in the poverty bracket and still need. And giving to that person, is, it's tzedakah. Okay. All righty. Thank you all for joining. And um, look forward to seeing you next week.